Well, good morning. If you will take your copy of God's Word, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to pick up right where we left off last week, actually uh, rereading verse 21. We ended with verse 21, and so we're going to pick up there as we keep walking through the book of Ephesians together and thinking about taking our belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ and turning it into the behavior that represents and brings honor and glory to our heavenly Father. And so we're going to look at that today as we look at some of the relationships in our life and uh, how they can help us to uh, grow closer in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, and we're going to read down through chapter 6, verse 9. One of the most uh, era-defining movies of my childhood was a movie by the name of The Karate Kid. It was a story about a kid who uh, gets beat up, actually a few times, uh, treated like a loser by some of these bullies in his school, and then this older Japanese man teaches him how to succeed in life by using karate. It's actually a pretty fascinating movie. As a kid, this movie was very inspiring and uh, awesome, and you know, I've tried to talk it up to my kids, and, and ultimately, as we've watched portions of it together, uh, it's not quite as good as I remember it to be. Isn't it weird how that happens? But I still, from a nostalgic kind of standpoint, love the movie. And, you know, we, we look at this movie, and one of the most captivating things about it, as a kid and even as an adult, is how in the movie, this Japanese man, Mr. Miyagi, teaches Daniel how to fight using a very unconventional style of teaching. Daniel comes over to his house to be trained in karate, and Mr. Miyagi basically every time just gives him a number of chores to do, things that my kids would complain about every time I would ask them to do it, like wash the car, wax the car, sand the deck, paint the fence. And Daniel does these things for about a month, and then he just gets sick of it. He doesn't want to do this anymore, but then Mr. Miyagi shows him how in learning these mundane things, what he's actually been doing is honing his skills for some of the basic motions for karate, for self-defense. And ultimately, what happens is he becomes a great karate fighter, tournament fighter, because of learning these mundane chores that actually have helped him to be prepared for the fights that were in the future. Well, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 that God has set this world up in basically the same way. And he's going to take three very common relationships in our life, marriage, parent and children relationship, and our work relationship, and he's going to show us how God uses these very ordinary relationships that are part of our everyday life to make us more like him, to be prepared for the life that he's created us for and that he's called us to live. Now, remember back how this chapter started. In chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so, uh, now, this is how we ended last week with verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here's the beautiful thing of what we're about to see, because many times when we read the verses we're going to look at today, we don't take into account the fact that 
What came first in chapter 5 led into this conversation. In each of these three relationships, we're going to learn a very important quality, a quality that defined Jesus' life. And if we're really going to walk in love as Christ loved and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, then we have to learn that character trait as well. And that character trait is this, submission. It is something we don't like to talk about. It's something we don't like to participate in. But submission is a very, very important tool. And one of the problems that we have is we begin to think of submission in terms of superior versus inferior. The inferior submit to the superior. And therefore, we don't ever want to be the inferior. So it makes us hesitant and it makes us tense against the whole concept of submission. But that is a very worldly way of looking at submission. That is not what God means at all. We have a very important member of our security team here that is here almost every Sunday without fail and most Wednesday nights. And you pass him each Sunday morning and sometimes you speak to him, sometimes you know him, but you also probably feel good that you see him. I'm sure that uh, all of you have probably run into Deputy John as you have walked in on Sunday mornings. And we have a great relationship with uh, John. John and I are our friends, and man, let me tell you what, there's probably no better servant that uh, is serving here on Sunday mornings than John. But our relationship is a perfect example of what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians chapter 5 and Ephesians chapter 6. When we're here on Sunday mornings in this building, he ultimately, John, is under my authority as the lead pastor here at the church. We actually have a binder that has the list of all of the different things that the deputy is supposed to do as far as helping to maintain security and safety here on Sunday mornings. We have a document that's actually been filed with the sheriff's department, and it details the time for arrival and the things that have to be done. And if John's not able to be here one Sunday morning and someone else fills in for him from the sheriff's department, another deputy that's here, they follow these procedures. They do these things because we've put them in place and they're under the authority of that document and of the leadership here at the church because they're actually serving uh, at our discretion to be here. But you let me walk outside these doors and get in my car and begin to head home and all of the sudden it does not matter what that document says. It doesn't make any difference what the procedures are here at church. The only thing that matters at that point is that I'm under his authority because when I leave this place and and actually frankly even in this place if I get if I start to get out of line, I start to do some stuff here on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights that I should not do, and then all of a sudden that document becomes nebulous again. It doesn't make any difference what it says because I will come under his authority very quickly. So here's a question for you. Who is superior to whom? The, the real answer to that question is neither is superior, but the authority in place depends upon which role we are playing. That, that's the idea behind what Paul is actually teaching us here. It has nothing to do with superiority and inferiority. It has everything to do with the roles that we play in the various points in our lives and relationships in our lives. So let's look at the first set of roles uh, that he lays out for us here, and it's probably one of the more uncomfortable ones that we don't like to talk about, especially in our current context and culture, and that's this. We ought to live in harmony with our spouse. We ought to live in harmony with our spouse. And so we're going to start by 
jumping ahead to the husbands because I think that's really important for us to look at here. He starts with the wives in verse 22. We're going to get to that in just a second. But in verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. We'll get to that in just a second. But here's what we find out when we're talking about and thinking about living in, living in harmony with our spouse. Here's the reality that we need to face. Husbands must lead well. If, if we're going to be in harmony, and harmony has, has this idea of you're not singing the same part. There are different parts that blend together, that complement one another, that, that help the music and the song to sound better. Well, this helps the marriage to actually be better and to do what it was called and what it was instituted and what it was created to do if we will play our part, our role, the way we're supposed to. Husbands lead well. In teaching this, Paul draws all the way back to creation narratives of Genesis 2. There's a lot of similarities to what uh, Moses says in Genesis 2 versus what Paul says right here in Ephesians chapter 5. And one of the first things we see in this Christ-like leadership role that is exemplified in Christ but lived out in the husbands is this. We ought to lead by providing for her. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Back in Genesis chapter 2, before God created the woman, he had the man working in the garden, laboring already. He was doing a job that would ultimately bring forth uh, fruit and, and vegetables and different varieties of ways to provide for the family. And after the man had a job, God brought him a, a wife. This is just kind of a quick apl application here, ladies. If the guy that you're looking towards can't hold down a job he's 30 years old he's still living with his parents and and using their credit cards you might want to rethink the relationship because there's a chance if he can't provide for himself he's not gonna be able to provide for you sometimes we need to think about this before we put ourselves in that relationship sometimes it's too late because we're already in that relationship but guys your responsibility to lead well begins by providing for the family but you also lead the way spiritually and the majority of what he talks about here really is about spiritual leadership verse 26 that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish this is how christ loved the church it is how husbands are to love their wives when she was brought to him, he already had a relationship with God. Adam did. Whenever Eve was brought to him, he was tasked with relaying to her the commands of God and leading her in obeying him because God had already had that conversation with Adam. So clearly here what Paul is saying and what Scripture is saying in general is, men, you are to be the spiritual leaders in your home. That is a responsibility of leading well. 
Did you see that phrase, wash her with the water of the word? Washing her with the water with the word means that you become the primary mouthpiece declaring to her God's feelings about her. You ought to be the one that's sharing with her that she is valued and cherished and precious in God's sight and with a bright future because of God's plans for her life. Not because of what you want her to do, but you are representing God in the way you lead well. And one of the ways we're able to lead spiritually well is because we also lead the way in sacrifice. Verse 31, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Remember what he said back in verse 25? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Paul references God's instructions to the man to leave his previous life and cleave to his, to his wife. That has to do with the fact that you're sacrificing and giving up what once was your life for the new life that now you have and the responsibilities that you have to lead well. It requires sacrifice. And Paul compares this to our relationship with Jesus. Jesus left his heavenly home, laid down his life for us, and now we're to do that as husbands for our wives as well. Our previous life will not dictate our life now with her. We are giving that up for her and for the new life that we have for her. Laying down your life doesn't simply mean being willing to die for her. It certainly does mean that. But it means daily putting her needs above yours. Using your power, your authority, your leadership to serve her. It means that in decisions... I'm going to give her needs preferences over my needs. They're going to carry more weight. I love what J.D. Greer says about this. He put it this way. If I'm serving her like Christ served the church, that means that in 90% of places where we disagree, we're going to end up doing what she wants because most decisions are not spiritual leadership decisions. They are preferences, and my preferences should always be second to her if I'm giving myself up to her. C.S. Lewis put it this way, men in the marriage relationship, you wear a crown, but the crown you wear is first and foremost a crown of thorns. We're wanting to be like Christ and how Christ loved the church. Christ didn't go around with a golden crown talking about how great he was. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is what God has called us to do. That's how I submit to my wife. I use my leadership to serve her. But it does say wives must submit well as well. Look at verses 22 and 24 back there. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Well, what does that mean? Well, let's first talk about what we see far too many times in our world and even in our churches. Let's talk about what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean the dominance of the man, as if she existed as some kind of slave in his house to cater to his whims. Because as we just saw, the husband is told first to lay down his life for her. So her life can't be about just doing whatever it is you want and being at your beck and call all the time. Nor does it mean, ladies, that you allow yourself to be put in a situation where you might be harmed. When it says in verse 22 to submit to him as to the Lord, that means as a way of serving God. 
not in the place of God. He is not God in your life, which means your husband was telling you to do something, if your husband is telling you to do something that would make you disobey the Lord, or if his leadership would ever put you or your family in physical harm's way, then you actually need to get out of there. You need to come see us. You need to find some counseling and some help because those are dangerous relationships. And Paul is not saying to put yourself in harm's way. It doesn't mean also that all women everywhere should submit to whatever men happen to be in the room, as if a woman can't lead in the workplace or have some type of political career. Paul is only talking about marriage here. So let's just be reminded of the fact that as this verse is really not given to us as a tool for men to wield over your wives. Notice that the verse is addressed specifically to women, not to men, which means, men, you shouldn't be quoting it at her as though this is some tool to use to get her to do what you want her to do. This is her verse, not yours. It's hers to obey. It's not yours to demand. If she's not going to do it, then the only thing you can do is try to be the kind of leader that it would be a joy to submit to. You play your role and you trust God with her role. Now, I understand that in many instances in our life, we face relationships where they're not ideal. They don't line up like this. And we'll get to that in a moment. But the only thing you can control is how you live. Husbands, you can sacrifice because you have control over that. Wives, you can submit because you have control over that. So what does it mean? Ladies, is that you allow him the space to lead and to steer the family in, instead of constantly trying to be domineering over him, you give him the space to lead. I love how Tim Keller's wife, Kathy Keller, uh, explains it when she talks about what happened to them when they were considering a move to New York City for ministry purposes. Kathy says, it means that in matters of disagreement, I yield to Tim as the deciding vote. I get a vote, he gets a vote. He gets the deciding vote. She tells the story of their decision on whether or not to move to New York City to be a pastor. He felt like the answer was yes. She felt like it was no, but they did have to make a decision. To not make one would be functionally to make one against what should have happened. And so he conceded. He said, okay, if you don't want to go, then we won't go. But her response, which is priceless, was this. Oh, no, you're not going to put this on me. You have to make and bear the responsibility for this type of spiritual leadership decision. That is what it means to be submissive. Spiritual leadership means bearing the burden of responsibility. You are relieved of the burden of being accountable for a bad decision because ultimately it lays at his feet. Tony Evans says, spiritual headship is God telling the woman to duck so that he can punch the man. He bears the burden of the deciding vote, especially when it comes to matters of spiritual leadership. Now here's the thing. When we're talking about the marriage relationship, and we spent a lot of time here because this is probably the most controversial one. Marriage is not first and foremost about making you happy or finding the perfect mate. But marriage is primarily about making you holy and teaching you to love like Jesus. It is a gospel reenactment. By the way, Jesus loved us when we did not love him. And so if you find yourself in a relationship where your spouse does not love you, 
Love them sacrificially. Do not love them to the point where you're putting yourself in harm's way, but love them sacrificially. Because what ultimately is most important here is that they are made holy through this relationship. Marriages that fall apart do so because couple, not because couples fall out of love. That's Hollywood. They fall apart because they fall out of fellowship with Jesus. Which means if you didn't have Jesus in the first place, you're already halfway doomed. This is the actual true uh, statement for every relationship of your life. Ultimately, we are able to thrive and survive in these, re these relationships because our relationship with God is healthy, which actually brings us to our next point. You ought to live in harmony in your home. Now, we've already talked about marriages, so in your home here is a reference to the parent-child relationship. Verse 1 uh, of chapter 6 here. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. When we're living in harmony in the home, children learn to obey God by obeying their parents first. And that's why it's important for children to obey your parents. Paul ties this obedience back to the Ten Commandments. In verse 2, he says, honor your father and mother. Does that sound familiar? Then he even goes further. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Quotation, he's quoting from Exodus here. Interestingly, honor your father and mother is the fifth commandment, which means it's right in the middle of the ten. Now, the first four commandments have to do with our relationship with God. The last four commandments have to do with our relationship with others. And right in the middle is a relationship in the home between children and parents. And it hinges the two. Because here's essentially what he's saying when we're young our parents represent the authority of God in our life and verse and and the fifth commandment represents authority and submitting to authority there are a lot of different ways of submitting to authority but the ultimate authority is God and so in the home we learn how to be better followers of Christ and children of God by being children of our earthly parents they stand in our lives to a certain degree for a certain point of time. We first learn to obey and to submit to God by obeying and submitting to them. That means for those of you living at home, how you submit to the authority of your mom and dad is how you submit to God. Let that sink in just for a minute. If you can't obey this one of God's commands, how could you possibly follow him in other areas of your life? Now, here's what I want you to do, parents. If you are uh, paying attention at this point, don't look over at your teenager. Stop Stop rolling your eyes at them and stop telling them, see, I told you, you ought to be paying attention to me. But this is one of the reasons why we have to take discipline so seriously. How they learn to respect you ultimately will flow over into their life in the way that they respect their Heavenly Father as well. It means this has far bigger implications than you not wanting them to embarrass you or for you reminding them that they represent you in public. Actually, we need to be reminding them that they represent God. And, and when they are acting crazy and doing stuff that they shouldn't do and being disobedient, they're, they're not being a very good representation of what it means to submit to the godly authority that's in their life. And that's why it's also important, parents, for you to disciple your children. Four, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, what is he primarily focusing on here? Character development. 
You're shaping your child's heart towards God. Gospel-shaped discipline is less concerned about controlling behavior and more concerned about the shape of their heart. Is that not a perfect representation of everything we've been talking about in Ephesians here? God's desire is not simply that you would act better. God's desire is that your heart would be changed to have the same passions and desires that he has. You need a heart transplant from God, and by the way, you need to be raising your children to have the character and to have the heart of God as well because you can't just simply tell them, do this or don't do this. By the way, if you don't raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, what kind of spouse, what kind of employee, what kind of employer What kind of child of God are they actually going to grow up to be? Now, we sort of referenced the the third set of relationships here, but in verses 5 through 9, we're reminded that we need to live in harmony at your work as well. Now, let's read this passage of Scripture and sort of eliminate some of the things that may confuse us sometimes. Verse 5 says, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Now, for the sake of these verses, read bondservants and masters as employer and employee. It it is that relationship, ultimately, that he's kind of referencing here. Some translations may say slaves instead of bondservants, but, but most translations don't use that terminology because Paul is in no way here condoning in the the things that we would think about in the Western world when we say slavery. Those are not similar to what he's talking about at all. Paul makes clear in other places in the Bible that that practice is wicked. He is referring to a practice that is much more like indentured servanthood, which was typically voluntary. It was a contract that didn't last for a lifetime, and it wasn't based on race or inferiority or superiority. And that wasn't a great working situation. It's probably not what you would have signed up for. It's basically like saying, hey, I'm working for minimum wage as opposed to having a big salary. You certainly would would prefer that. But literally what would happen here is they would sell themselves to someone else in order to pay a debt, in order to provide for their family. But it was in no way a commendation of the chattel slavery system that we think of when we say slave. That's not what he's talking about here at all. It's not remotely the same. People use this against Paul all the time, but that's not what's going on. So read these instructions as employees to employers because that's how we would apply it today. None of us in here are slaves or even indentured servants to someone else, but we do have jobs. We do work for and labor for other people. And how does he say we ought to respond to that? Serve with Christ-like obedience. Verse 5 through 8. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will, as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a bondservant or he's free. So submitting to your boss ultimately is how you show submission to Christ. That's not supposed to be, by the way, dependent upon how nice your boss is. Even if that person never rewards you for stuff that you deserve. Ultimately, Paul says you're not working for him or her. You are working for God. Verse 6 says, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, 
doing the will of God from the heart. This is continuing what he's been saying in the last few chapters. You don't just do the minimum required to get by. That's what everybody else does. They're trying to, we are trying to, believers are trying to bless their employees or, or their employers uh, and the people that they work for. They want to honor them. Why? Because ultimately that authority figure represents God, even if that person doesn't. Verse 7 says, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Over and over again, he's reminding you, you serve God. You serve these other people, yes, but you serve God. One of the distinctive things about Christian approach to work is the world sees work as a necessary evil in order to make money. When you get enough money, what do you do? You stop working. But Christians see work as a way of serving their fellow man. We recognize that God put us on earth and filled the earth with raw materials that we are to develop for the benefit of others, loving your neighbor as yourself, loving your spouse like Christ did who gave himself up for her. Now Paul's going to turn his attention over to the employers, which is also an important part of this relationship, right? Lead with Christ-like compassion. The same way husbands ought to lead, bosses ought to lead. The same way parents all to lead bosses all to lead. Verse, five, verse 9, masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. In other words, you ought to lead the way Christ leads. You ought to see others with the same compassion that he sees. For you who have power over others, use that power the way Jesus used his power over your life. Lift them up. Empower them. Don't manipulate them. Don't try to control them. There's two things you can do with power. You can collect it, and that's what the world does. Let's get as much power as we can possibly collect. Or you can leverage it for good. This is what Jesus did. God gives away his power to serve others. The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but he was powerful. He was the authority. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. But he didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So lead that way. Whether you're a parent, whether you're a boss, whether you're serving on a committee in the church, whether you're leading a ministry, whether you're helping a group in, a, in the community, whether you are a husband, regardless of your relationship or your authority, lead well. And if you find yourself in a position where you're following a leader, then submit well. Whether you're a wife, whether you're a child, whether you're an employee, whether you're serving around the church or serving in the community, whether you're a volunteer, whatever the case may be, whether you are leading, lead like Christ. Whether you are following, follow like Christ. We've been trying to get our kids uh, to fulfill their responsibilities around the house consistently. And let's just say that yelling at them, threatening them with punishment, taking away electronic devices, taking away time with friends, threatening to ground them has not really worked so far. I mean, look, it works in the moment, and they do react in the moment, and they'll do a few things, but it's not lasting change. The threat of taking things from them doesn't really seem to get it done. So I've adjusted my approach over the course of the last week or so and uh, here's the reality. Beth's family's coming into town uh, for Thanksgiving. And so we're really excited about that. Kids are excited about it. We, we can't wait to see them and to be able to spend time with them. But Beth 
cannot stand that our house looks like seven people live there and five of those people are minors and every one of those minors has a different pet that lives there and the house looks like it and the house smells like it and it's driving her crazy and so uh, I had a heart-to-heart conversation with the kids in the car the other day because they couldn't escape everybody was in there and we were headed home from one of the 135 different games that my kids were involved in for that particular week and so on the way home we had a 30-minute drive on the way home and, and I had a captive audience and so I said look here's the deal I want you just to pay attention to me for just a moment. We talked about the fact that mommy does so much for our family, and she sacrifices so much, and she works harder than anybody else. And one of the things that she is the most passionate about is she wants our home to be a place where we can open it up to friends, to family, to uh, church members, to people to be able to come in. She loves to be able to host things, but we can't if our house is constantly destroyed. And, and we need the house not only just to be cleaned, but we also need for the house to smell good and for the house to be hospitable towards other people. And it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take all of us working together. Not because necessarily you're passionate about it, but because mommy is passionate about it. Did you know that we got more done over the next two days, a few hours on Saturday and even a few on Sunday, than we have accomplished in months? Not because the kids all of a sudden cared whether or not the house was cleaned. Well, Emma probably did, our oldest daughter, but she's a lot like her mom. But for the most part, that wasn't it. But they did care about what was important to their mommy. They wanted to honor her and to do something special for her. You know, when we, put our, when we put others before ourselves, it honors our Heavenly Father. So as Paul nears the end of the book of Ephesians, he is trying to get the Ephesians to see that all of their relationships, marriage, uh, parents, children, even their occupation, the most normal of relationships, in every one of them, they are helping us to serve God better. I've heard someone say recently that you can measure the progress of your Christian life by how well you relate to your spouse, to your parents, to your kids, even your employee, even your, your employer. And, and, and all of that is true, but the truest measure of Christianity is how you are in your home. Let's start with this question. If you based your spiritual progress solely on how well you lived at home, how do you think you're doing? We don't know. I can tell you how I'm doing. You don't, you don't see what happens. But what Paul shows us is that the quality of our horizontal relationships goes back ultimately to the quality of our vertical one. Our, disrupting this relationship leads to chaos here. If you're satisfied in Christ and secure in Christ, you're sure that you have been chosen by Christ and His grace, and you're feeling your significance in Christ and your identity is in Christ, and you are thankful for your reward in Christ, you 
quit putting so much pressure and weight on these other relationships because they are secondary to this one. I mean, many of us are a place in our life where we can't be good husbands or wives or parents or children or employees or employers because there's something wrong with this relationship. And it makes us dissatisfied and selfish for these relationships. You're trying to squeeze out of these horizontal relationships what we should be getting out of our vertical relationship with God. you got a conflict in these relationships because all of these people are bigger in your life than Jesus is. And it can't be that way. Because they're always going to leave you dissatisfied. Here, here's the reality. Many of you, as we've been talking today, are thinking through your marriage, your, your parent-child relationships, your job, and other relationships in your life. And you're thinking, yeah, but I, I, that my, those people don't act that way towards me. Well, yeah, because we live in a fallen, sinful world and everything's broken and so many people's relationship with God is messed up that there's no way possibly they could live the way they need to towards you. But you can't control that. The only thing you can control is whether or not you fall and submit to your Heavenly Father and live those relationships out the best you can. Be a better spouse. Be a better parent. Be a better child. Be a better employee. Be a better employer. Be a better church member. Not because you just decide to do it, but be better in those things because you are surrendering in this relationship. So maybe today you need to turn your attention here first. And the good news is, when you get this one right, everything else works out. When you seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, He adds all of those other things. You will be better at those things. Because as we've talked about throughout the book of Ephesians, He changes your heart. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, thank You so much that we don't have to follow a laundry list of things to do, but we simply need to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And God, we know that if we'll seek first your kingdom and we will submit to you, then your grace is sufficient to save us and to help us to live as a better spouse, as a better parent, as a better child, as a better employee, as a better employer, as a better church member, as a better citizen. God, you make our path straight. Help us to trust in you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.